0: It was June 10, 1940, and to outsiders, it was poised by the Nazis as a model Jewish settlement, but in reality, it was a concentration camp, a camp where over 33,000 inmates died as a result of hunger, sickness, or sadistic torture, and uh, Terzenstadt was also used as a uh, transit camp for European Jews en route to Auschwitz and Treblinka. Um, most did not survive the camps, but one very special woman did she 's now one hundred and eight years old, and in her life 's account, a century of wisdom is a book everybody should read. This is Greg Grasso with the Marshall Public Library Radio hour, and today i have the privilege of talking to Carolyn Stossinger. Welcome, Carolyn. How are you well
1: thank you i 'm so happy
0: to be here yeah, i 'm I'm glad you 're here with us um, you have a wonderful new book out. Um, it's called "A Century of Wisdom: Lessons from the Life of Alice Hers Sommer, the World's Oldest Living Holocaust Survivor." Now, she's not only the oldest Holocaust survivor, but she's also the world's oldest living concert pianist. Correct? That's right. Yeah, absolutely amazing that this woman uh, still plays the piano. Um, well, Carolyn. Um, I, I need to ask you, uh, you know, something personal. What, uh, w- what drove you to write this book? How did you meet Alice? And what have you learned about her life? And more importantly, what, if any, impact has she made on your life?
1: Well, I will start with the, the last question. Yes. Um, she has had a tremendous impact on my life. But I have been studying music of the Holocaust and music in the camps for many years since I was in college and first learned and was shocked to learn that the Nazis actually provided for music in the camps. And I believe it was a a kind of uh, instrument of torture. It was uh, sadistic the way they used music and if I may give you I'm diverting, but if I may give you a brief example. Yes. In Auschwitz in nineteen forty four, when they decided to liquidate the final group of children, which were I think maybe about four hundred, um they called in the mobile gas trucks and they called the Auschwitz band out to play. And as the children were marched away in front of I'm sure some of their parents were still living the band was ordered to play, and those who could to sing, uh, and the children were told to sing as they were marched away a German folk song, Mutti, Mutti, ich komme bald zurück, Mother, Mother, I'm coming soon home. And this led me uh, to study what, how music helped uh the jewish population in the camps to survive or if it helped to survive survival and why they played and how they could play i'm a pianist and i can't it's beyond my imagination and i have a good one to think how you could play a concert in a concentration camp Theresienstadt as you know was a, was a camp a propaganda camp uh, that was organized uh, mainly for this purpose a showcase camp Uh, to prove to the world and to the Red Cross particularly that the Fuhrer was treating the Jews better than even poor German citizens who were living in bombed-out cities. And when they discovered they could have concerts because so many musicians were imprisoned there, they understood this would be a great uh, outlet for publicity and then began to encourage the concerts and to basically order them. So my study and work really focused on the music of Theresienstadt because there was a great deal of music composed there, not just performed, but composed. And at one time, I can tell you, in the early days, uh, before they had enough trains to ship people quickly enough to the gas ovens in Auschwitz, they had four symphony orchestras that could play simultaneously. There were so many musicians housed in this little village. Hmm. And I interviewed uh, as I I could make contact. Remember, at the time I started my work, Czechoslovakia was behind the Iron Curtain, and access to the material and people that I needed was not so readily available. And it took a long time and a lot of work, and actually became much more intense after Havel became president, and I had free access uh, to whatever I needed. But I did meet many of the survivors, and some who were musicians, and some who uh, participated or who remembered the musicians. And I met many, many uh, of these people and interviewed them, including friends of Alice, and this led me to Alice. Wow. And I was really thrilled to meet her as as a musician. Yeah.
0: Now, how long ago was this, when you met her?
1: I caught up with her in London in uh, two thousand and late two thousand and three. Yeah,
0: wow. And, and Alice still lives in London, correct?
1: Alice lives in London in a small one room apartment. Uh, she actually lives on her own um, and manages quite well. Her apartment is on a on a ground floor, and uh, there are people in the her building that look in on her frequently. And admire her a great deal. And London has extraordinary city services. So uh, many people, social workers and health care workers and so forth, are looking in on her. But no one sleeps, no other person sleeps in her apartment.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, when I read your book, i um, I got to be quite honest, I, I found Alice... Um, as I read through, she's almost like a. Uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but she's almost like a character in a, in a player or, mo- or a movie. I mean, what she has gone through, what she has seen, what, what she, uh, you know, through, through, through the past decades, even, even surviving the camp after the camps, um, she had, 's she's had all this trauma in her life. She was in prison for two years for crying out loud she, her, her husband died um, uh, while she was en route um, or in the camps. Um, she testified at eichmann 's trial after the war and, and yet and yet, uh, I read through this book and she has the most amazing outlook on life i 've never read or met anybody in my life and i 've met some Holocaust survivors. Uh, in my day and um, I I just don't get it what is it with her what is it what (laughs) you know what I'm saying what what is it how how can she go through life maintaining this amazing optimistic uh, uh, outlook on life how does one do that
1: (laughs) well I have to assume a bit of it is genetic but I think mostly it's what she learned as she has taken this long journey. And I think she learned that optimism and a smile on her face helped her as much as it did the people around her. And that it, it's just actually, none of us practice this, or most of us don't, even if we try. It's common sense to not try to fix what is impossible to fix. If, if you drop a glass and it breaks in a million pieces, there's no way you can, can uh, glue it back together. You have to sweep it up and throw it out and get another glass and, and go on. And she knows that deep inside her. It's not that she forgets the past or that she doesn't treasure it or still love the people that she lost. It's that she cannot spend her time in grief and mourning rather take advantage of the time that she has to rejoice Mm -hmm. um she she has read a lot of philosophy and i think it was epiticus who said grieve not for what you long for or what you have lost rejoice in what you have Mm -hmm. and alice truly truly practices that and she has music Alice is quick to say, I'm the richest person in the world. I'm richer than the greatest billionaire because I have music in my heart and my soul. And also, and this was true for anyone in the camps, those who had music in their minds, they knew they could enter that because we can hear the piece. We can listen to a Mozart symphony in our head if we need to. Yes. And no one even knows that you're hearing it. It was forbidden under the Nazis. Or we could have listened to George Gershwin, which was forbidden because he was a Jewish composer. But no one knew that you were listening to it. And you can you can you can survive a long time on on that. It gives you great strength.
0: Yeah, you so ro-
1: that your mind your mind cannot be robbed.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the key in all survivors uh, i've met some pows uh, um, I, i've met other survivors let's say and uh, yes there's something internal um uh, that 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 maintains that strength um, in your uh, in your chapter called uh, uh fire in uh under interlude uh, the first, the first sentence, uh, Alice says that uh, I was born an optimist, while my twin was always a pessimist. Very interesting, Alice says. <laughs> I mean, that to me was, hmm. This, this gal has got a, a, a kind of an analytical mind, yet she's, uh, uh, you know, and a, uh, she's able to 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 go through life just very hmm, not pragmatically, but. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. Uh, just some of, some, of the, some of the things that uh, uh, she's she reflecting she on. She has
1: great ethical, moral strengths, and she has great physical strengths, too. I know uh, I've often thought and talked to her mm. about her decision to leave Prague after the war, and, which was home, mm. and to immigrate to Israel, which was only a nation one year old when she went. And she left behind a man who was going to marry her, mm. who was going to adopt her child. Mm. That's a lot to leave. Of course, he was imprisoned by the communists, and she was not permitted to see him because you had to have a particular, I think you had to show a birth certificate, that you were a blood relative in order to visit someone in prison. Mm. And she couldn't tell him she was leaving. But she made the decision, and a practical one, that she had to go to get out she didn't know what would happen to him but if things went well she knew there is a future and he could come to israel too at some point Mm -hmm. but she couldn't wait to get him out of prison or for him to get out of prison if he did to make this decision she had to leave then and i'm sure it was one of the most difficult things i know what it means to be in love Mm -hmm. and to leave that possibility of that kind of future but she had to, to save herself and her child. Yeah. And she did. And now she says that her 37 years in Jerusalem were the happiest years of her life. Wow.
0: She was um she knew Golda Meir, didn't she?
1: Yes. and Teddy Kollek.
0: That, that, that that's amazing. And
1: even I, I mean, you know, where are they where are those people now when we really need them?
0: Yes. Them? Yes. I yes, um I love um I'm Polish Italian um I love strong women. I was raised in the East, uh, with a lot of, uh, well, in a very integrated society, uh, Jews, Catholics, uh, whatever. Um, um, when I was growing up, Golda Meir was uh, um, was amazing to me. I mean, this is, she was a strong woman, and uh, the fact that Alice and she knew each other, um, uh, just, just, uh, I don't know just blew me away. Golda,
1: Golda lived in Alice's neighborhood. Yes. And Golda was not, just because she was in the government or becoming well-known, didn't mean that she didn't speak with people or that she changed in any way. Golda was the kind of woman that even after she became prime minister, she would know there were guards outside her door. She'd go to her kitchen at midnight. And make sandwiches and tea for them, and invite them in, and sit down and talk with them. That's who she was, yeah. and that's who Alice is too. Yeah. Uh, one of the first times I met her, and she's tiny. I don't think Alice is more than probably four feet five or four feet six tall. <laughs> this little tiny, very old lady, had made tea for me. I felt I felt so embarrassed, and I didn't really know what to do. And, and and cake, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't want to take her cake. And Alice gets up and cuts a pe- big piece of cake and says, eat it, yeah. you know, and pour the tea and, you know, drink it. Um, and I, 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 can, I can imagine she's a miniature version of Golda Meir. But what was most interesting about what Alice told me about Golda is how sensitive Golda was to music and how well she understood and actually knew music. yeah. She said Teddy Colling didn't. That he often fell asleep. That she could see him falling asleep at her concerts. <laughs> but that <they> he always came. <laughs> That's amazing. Teddy, I met by the way. You did. I, I, yes, I did. I I produced a concert at the Cathedral of Saint John the Divine in his honor. Unbelievable. And uh, he, he made he made a formal talk at that, and uh, he, and and it came to my house afterwards to a party. So I fed him too, and it was it was a wonderful wonderful. He was. Absolutely adorable,
0: marvelous man. <laughs> when when she gave you the cake, <laughs> well, um, when you just said she gave, you know, she offered you the cake. Uh, uh, I flashed to uh, uh, one of your chapters called Chicken Soup, and there's <laughs> there's a chicken soup recipe. And when I looked at it, I, I, I about dropped my jaw because this is what nana my my grandmother polish grandmother how she made chicken soup and i still make chicken soup today um just like nana taught me um so well,
1: you can't you can't do better than what nana taught you no
0: you can't And it's
1: also extremely healthy you see alice decided about 40 years ago uh-huh. that she needed to save more time. Sounds like Golden Mayor. Yeah. And therefore, she would only cook once in a while, and, and she didn't want to be bothered with the fuss of living on her own and, and cooking and, and worrying about food. And she ate mainly chicken soup. <laughs> Jeez. Well, Sometimes she changed it to fish, but, but she could eat chicken soup for a week at a time twice a day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, co- I connect with that. Uh, well, we used to call it soul food, but I, I really connect with that. And I, I cook to this day. I cook peasant food, um, Polish and Italian peasant food, um, not only because it's it's delicious, but it, it, it grounds me in my roots. Um, right. Like, like I said, I've got Italian-Polish immig- immigrants. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean – as I read through, you know, there are just so many things that uh, I, I've connected to um, uh, through her eyes, through her stories. And by the way, how did you compile this? Um, I mean, you've got a lot in here. Yeah, I mean, it looks like tons and tons of research. And um, in addition to maybe Alice helping you, you know, uh, uh, put this thing together. Um, where 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 did you dig for the info? Um,
1: Everywhere. Yeah. I mean that that you could, and of course, a lot of people ask you when did I start writing the book, and I say I think a long, you know, a very long time ago. Um, I've done a, a lot of research in my life, mm. and um, sometimes when I'm researching one subject, I come across something that that's somewhere else, and just tuck it away. So this book really is based on a, a lifetime of research mm-hmm. and and a certain understanding of particularly the period that Alice came from and of great empathy with it. I love the writer she she was friendly with, I mean Kafka and Thomas Mann mm-hmm. and Rilke, mm-hmm. uh, is my favorite poet. And we really bonded through music and uh, literature, literature. But this is something I've studied all, all my life. And I saw these great themes in Alice's life, and my publisher actually felt uh, that we did not need to do a a traditional chronological uh, biography, that it's much more important to concentrate on the overarching themes and what we can learn from Alice. And that's why the, the chapters are not necessarily chronological, but they're thematic in their organization.
0: And, and this book, as I understand, this book is, is pretty much going out to the world, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I think I read somewhere that this, this book is going to be translated into uh, a dozen languages or so, right? Oh, it's
1: more than that. It's, yeah. it's, I think it's over 20 at this point. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I was stunned. at. I mean, every country in Europe bought um, yeah. Brazil. Uh, it's, it's being published in China, Korea, and Japan in translation. And actually, the first foreign sale I was notified of, which was very interesting, was Turkey.
0: Really? Turkey?
1: Turkey, of all places.
0: Holy mackerel.
1: I know. I I mean, I I was really honored, flattered, and and gratified to know, because I have many Armenian friends, and um, I know they've had difficulty acknowledging the past. Yes. And I thought that, that that they would translate a book like this yes. for people to read on their open market. Maybe that will help them confront what happened back in the 20s with the Armenians.
0: Yeah. Well, and make
1: for a little more peace in the community.
0: Well, yes. And and as you know, um, we've been witnessing, you know, genocide uh, for centuries. And, uh, uh my greatest fear is that uh, these young kids are not learning this in school. You see, this is this is my problem. I'm almost sixty. I've I I, I taught my kids um, uh, the history. Um, I think it's so important that people remember and understand what has happened in the past, because uh, there's a lot of crap going around right now in the world, and um, it's a little scary. Uh, when you when you step back and look at the big picture, um, I, I think you're right. I think this story is very, very, very important. Not only from a survival standpoint, but from an educational standpoint, um, uh, to try to understand, uh, you know, why 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 we why we've been doing this to each other, you know, for for centuries. And, centuries. and it should
1: be improved now because we have. Forms of—I mean, it's one thing, uh, you know, 200 years ago, just to uh, make these uh, dividing lines among people, and that these people are bad, and these people are good, and that, you know, so because you didn't have access to them. Now we have access to everybody, and it, it's very frightening that people's minds can still be distorted this way. Alice is the most democratic person I ever hoped to meet. People need to learn from her example. Mm. She's interested in humanity, all humanity. Mm. And as she says, I look for the good. Mm. I know that there's bad around, but I look for the good. And she could make friends even – well, maybe not friends. That's too strong. But she would find something, some common thread, even in someone that is an enemy, and Alice really doesn't hate what I would like today's Yom Hoshua, What I would like to get as a message from Alice across wherever anyone will listen mm. is that Alice does not hate. Mm. This is not PAP. This is not just being politically correct. Alice really does not hate anyone. She doesn't want to waste her energy on that. Mm-hmm. She wants to. She wants to seek goodness in the world. And if more people could, feel the way she does, and adopt her attitude, and she certainly is an authority. She has had every tragedy that can befall a woman, including the premature death of her only child, Mm -hmm. to listen to her. She doesn't hate. And I can guarantee you that if the Queen of England knocked on her door and she was um, attending to some poor, dirty refugee child in her apartment, the Queen would have to wait. Mm-hmm. every or if if she had a household, everyone is treated equally. We talk about equality here, but mm-hmm. most people don't practice it in her heart. everyone is equal, everyone would get the same size piece of cake, the same kind of friendly welcome, the same kind of smile from her. She really doesn't she really doesn't draw lines about people. She saw that in the camp, and mm-hmm. she knows. The, the disaster, the heartache, the catastrophe that that causes.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, I want you to... Um, I've got one more question for you. It's... Uh, it's, it's universal, I guess. Um, I want you to uh, tell me uh, why. Um, why do you think... Uh, why do you think you were oh, okay you were raised with music um, uh, music is in your soul your genes um, and obviously music needs music to me is very 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 important um, is it is it the composition? Is it the sound that we hear? What creates in your heart? What creates the feeling, the emotion? Um, where does that stem from? Um, does it, When you play, when you uh, perform, um, where do you draw that energy? Where do you draw that love?
1: I think it comes from your entire life experience mm-hmm. and your view of life. If you love the sound of a sweet and friendly voice, you have a sweet and friendly voice, Greg. Mm. Uh, it's a great pleasure to speak with you. Mm. I, I, hear, I hear a certain tone, and that would be what I would want to communicate. I mean, the composers, uh, certainly when they write the music down, they give us all the direction in the world. But it's what you bring to it, from your own life's experience, if you're an angry person, you're probably going to have an angry-sounding tone. Hmm. It's hmm. if you're if you're hostile, it's going to maybe be more brutal. Hmm. Uh, not that you not that you know in certain Prokofiev or Stravinsky, you don't want that kind of strength and energy. Hmm. But I'm speaking right now of Bach and Beethoven and Schubert and the great Romantics. Um, it, it definitely is from your in entire experience and your sensitivity to melody and to rhythm, just like you're sensitive to the spoken word and the melody and rhythm of the spoken or the written word. Yeah. Wow. Alice, if I I can say one final word about Alice. Please. Her optimism, I think we could, in a way, equate with her faith, her ultimate faith in humanity and her belief that Life itself is a miracle, mm-hmm. and that the great belief I mean people say God, they, they whatever how whatever, however they want to express it. Yeah. she would probably frame God as expressing that is life itself is God, and therefore she lives with great reverence for God. Mm-hmm. Which means reverence for life. Every day for Alice is a gift. Yeah. Alice says life is a gift. Life is a miracle. And this is the faith that sustained her in the camps and that sustains her now. And music, playing music or listening to music, is her form of prayer. Yes. She's a beautiful person. I
0: I can surely relate. I, um, I, uh, I do believe in miracles. I do believe that life is precious. Um, I was... Uh, fortunate enough to hold my four babies, be, even before my wife held, the, you know, my kids. It Man. is
1: a miracle. A, a, an unbelievable miracle. Yeah, yeah. Alice I, has said, who could be sad, ever sad, after one sees one's child's first smile? Yeah. Therefore, with the optimism and music, Alice's state was far stronger than her fear, and that is partly how she Managed to survive and survive today as well as she does. Hmm.
0: I I think that's a great way to end the program, Carolyn. Um, uh, I thank you so much. Um, I uh, I hope that everyone out there um, can pick up this book and read it because. Uh, It'll not only open your eyes, but it may give you a little bit of strength. Um, as you said, faith is faith is what keeps us going. And, faith uh, is
1: stronger than fear.
0: Yeah, you're right. I want to uh, I want to thank you, Carolyn, for uh, coming on the show today. I want to thank NPR and KISU for making this show possible. And. Uh, uh, I believe that uh, this book will probably be everywhere. Correct on the web. Um, um, do you have any e-books coming out, or just yes? It,
1: it has been. Uh, it's yeah. on Kindle. There's a Kindle Beautiful. edition, and um, it is on uh, Random House audiobooks. Beautiful. It's been recorded.
0: Mm. Great. And they, the...
1: I thank you for being a wonderful host and asking wonderful questions, and being sympathetic sympathetic to this remarkable lady who's an example for us all. I know she has changed my life and helped me through my most serious and difficult moments.
0: Yeah, well, I gotta be honest with you. I'm, uh, you know, we all go through ups and downs in life and uh, uh, as you get older, uh, yeah, it could be a little bit scarier. Um, but uh, I I, felt, I found quite comfort reading this book. I really did. And I appreciate your time. Um, Thank you so much for coming on.
1: And I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much.